you are listening to Let Them Eat Avocado Toast, a podcast dedicated to offering a no gimmicks and ethical approach to building personal wealth and overall adulting with your host, Kristen Atherton, brought to you by Camex LLC. Assalamu alaikum. Assuming I pronounced it correctly, which is unlikely even though I practiced, this phrase literally translated from Arabic means peace be upon you. Now that's really similar to the way we would greet each other during church services in my Protestant upbringing, which was peace be with you. Honestly, I like the Arabic version a little bit better. With sounds like next to you, but upon sounds like it's something that you're clothed in, something like wrapped around you, comforting you. In any case, it's fitting for a Sunday morning from a Protestant perspective, but that's not why I decided to greet you in Arabic. Today, Arabic is the predominant language spoken in Egypt. We'll talk about an amazing boss babe from Egypt and a particular structural phenomenon that has some significance in Egypt as well. But what does that have to do with you? Or even with personal finance in the United States? Let's see, shall we? Obviously, the goal is to make money and then make that money work for you so you can live free from debt, free from the paycheck-to-paycheck lifestyle, and free from worry. The 9-to-5 lifestyle seems like a bit of a scam, but a lot of us have subscribed to it and are living through it. But is that nine to five really going to make you a millionaire, debt-free, or financially independent? Maybe, but it's a slow and steady wins the race kind of process. What if you want to get money faster? Then what's the solution? Well, make more money naturally. But without cloning yourself to give you twice the time to work with, there's really no way to make what they call active income. At least, not any extra. There is something called passive income, which we can get into later, and it's been said that most millionaires have six total streams of income on average. So passive income will be an important part of building wealth. Though in many cases, you do have to have money in order to make more money. But there are some other businesses that are seemingly designed to be something that you can do from home that will advertise you big returns. Make a bunch of money, be your own boss, work whatever schedule you need. Sounds amazing, right? But as the saying goes, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So what's all this about Egypt? I titled this episode Boss Babes, more Khufu than Cleopatra. And I did that for a reason. Allow me to enlighten you what those reasons are. I'm presuming you have all heard of Cleopatra at some point in your life. So let's talk about her. One thing you might not know is that Cleopatra is actually a historical monarchical name in the history of Egyptian pharaohs. 
So the Cleopatra that everyone is usually thinking of is Cleopatra VII, born in 70 or 69 BC. The historical documentation is slightly unsure on that one. Her reputation in modern-day lore is that of a powerful seductress, but there's definitely more to her than that. Ancient Egyptian pharaohs often aligned themselves with one of the gods of their people. This was a way to reinforce the divinity of royalty, and Cleopatra VII chose the goddess Isis, the same way that her ancestress Cleopatra III did. Because of this, she was sometimes called the new Isis. For reference, Isis was the goddess of magic, love, motherhood, and fertility. She was, in essence, the embodiment of the divine feminine. Cleopatra was the lover of Julius Caesar. She spent several years living with him in Rome, leading up to his assassination. It actually created a really great scandal as she was openly his mistress, and some historical accounts suggest that her presence was in part responsible for the political discord. Rome became too dangerous for Cleopatra and her son Caesarian, meaning little Caesar, pizza pizza, after Caesar was assassinated. So she fled the country with her son Caesarian and went back to Egypt. Of course, a power vacuum will create conflict, so both of the two sides vying for control of the Roman Empire asked her for her help, and she eventually helped the side that included her late lover's allies, Octavian and Mark Antony, rather than Caesar's assassins, Brutus and Cassius. There was a third dude in the ally group, which is known as the Triumvirate in history books, But that dude's name kind of disappears from her story, so we're going to skip past him. With Egypt's help, Octavian and Mark Antony won and split the rule of the Roman Empire between the two of them. Mark Antony apparently summoned Cleopatra to Sicily in order to, quote, explain her role in the aftermath of Caesar's assassination, end quote, which is a phrase that I took from a History.com article about her. And it sort of reads like he made her come to him so he could mansplain to her how she changed Roman history by backing the triumvirate. He really should have gone to Egypt to thank her instead, in my opinion. Now let's remember, Cleo had openly been Caesar's lover in Rome for four years, and Antony was a friend and ally of Caesar's, so they would have definitely met already. And if there had been any sexual chemistry, they'd have known. This was your ruling class BC booty call, if you ask me, an elite level BC BC. Now, the reason I say that is also in part because in the same way that Cleopatra aligned herself with Isis, Antony had aligned himself with the god Dionysus. Dionysus was, in essence, the god of tits and wine in the words of Tyrion Lannister from Game of Thrones. In truth, the resource I found said Dionysus was the god of fruitfulness and vegetation, wine, and ecstasy. To worship Dionysus, sacred rites, or orja, were performed. 
three guesses what that means. In some of the ancient understandings, Dionysus also represented the divine masculine. So by coming together, Antony as Dionysus, the divine masculine, and Cleopatra as Isis, the divine feminine, these two were performing a sacred ritual known as hieroskamos, which is Greek for sacred marriage. This ritual was intended to guarantee the fertility of the land, the prosperity of the community, and the continuation of the cosmos by marrying the deities. Their sexual union would, therefore, have political significance in that the Roman people would have believed Antony and Cleopatra were guaranteeing their harvests and prosperity. These two were apparently lovers and friends because they started their own drinking club. Yes, seriously. And Antony could not help himself from moving to Egypt to be with her for years on end, leaving his own third wife at home. When Antony's wife died, Octavian, remember him? He basically made Antony go back to Rome and enter into a diplomatic marriage with Octavian's half-sister. So even though Antony married Octavian's sister, he still kept going back to Egypt to be with Cleo, who had several of his children, both before and after that marriage. Eventually, Octavian started some propaganda that Mark Antony was a traitor to Rome for aligning so much with Cleo. I initially thought this was some egoistic drama happening because Antony was jilting his sister and also that Octavian wanted Antony out of Cleo's bed because Octavian secretly wanted to be there instead. So when pushing Antony to marry his sister didn't stop that, Octavian got all huffy and, you know, started some drama about it. It wouldn't be the first time wars were started over men's jealousy and rejection, and it certainly wouldn't be the last. But then I kept reading, and I realized that Octavian, as it turns out, was also Julius Caesar's son, making him the quote-unquote rightful heir. So late in the game, Antony decided to be all starry-eyed and declared that Caesarian, you remember little Caesar, Cleo's son with, with Caesar, Caesarian was the true heir to Rome, superseding Octavian's claim, denying any of Octavian's children or Antony's children with his half-sister Octavia. Antony also gave lands back to Egypt from the Roman Empire, and he gave his children with Cleo some land as well. So Octavian's propaganda and animosity may have more to do with secession rights, which is what the history books would have us believe, but I still want to believe that powerful men denied the woman they want, particularly by the woman herself, tend to throw tantrums of empire-level proportions. Would it be weird for a young man to lust after his father's mistress? To be honest, probably not as weird as men want women to believe it is. Oedipal complex is a thing for a reason, and a mother-like figure that he's not actually related to is a lot less weird to lust after than Oedipus lusting after his bio-mom. Conflict, of course, ensues, and eventually Antony had heard that Cleo had been captured and killed by Octavian's troops, 
So when he heard that, he put a knife in his own belly. Turns out that was a false rumor, but Antony only found that out minutes before he kicked the bucket, aka bled to death. When Cleo heard Antony was gone, she found a way to end her own life. Poison, self-inflicted snake bite, sources aren't 100% sure on that one. Now, Shakespeare wrote a play about Cleo meeting up with Antony in Sicily, that whole Hieros Gamos affair, but their star-crossed mistaken double suicide looks like the end of another one of his great works, Romeo and Juliet. So this woman not only changed the course of history in her own time, she's continued to inspire history and art throughout the ages. Some of the stories say she was beautiful, the most beautiful woman in the world, and that that's how she was able to seduce so many men and cause the strongest empire in the world to implode on itself. Based on some coins and some other information out there, it's said that her beauty has been exaggerated and she had manlike features. But there are other notes that say that her manlike features were her trying to look tougher and more masculine so that she inspired her people a little bit better. That's why it was on the coin that way. But in any case, her wit, her charm, her charisma, her intelligence, and her voice were all cited as examples as to why she enraptured so many men. Personally, I would bet she was pretty hot because men love to call a woman names when they can't control her or hook up with her, even in the history books. But I also believe it to be her personality that made her even hotter because based on my personal anecdotal evidence, looks get men into your bed, but they do not keep them there. Whatever she may or may not have been, she was a successful pharaoh of Egypt, leading her country into a period of prosper and returning areas once lost to her country during her 21 years of rule. She disrupted her country's most powerful neighbor and probably its greatest threat to safety and stability through her diplomacy, intelligence, and wit. Her methods may have been through intimate, vulnerable, equal partnerships, or they may have been through sexual exploitation of the weaknesses of men. Either way, they were objectively effective, at least until her death, when her family's three-century-long empire collapsed with her. Cleopatra VII was a force to be reckoned with, and she made money moves, changed the course of history, and was a boss-ass bitch, though admittedly a touch short-sighted without a strong succession plan. But as one of the most formidable fictional queens of Westeros once said, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Okay, that's the quickest fix on Cleo I could do without doing her a significant disservice. So the next part I promised you is a major structure in Egypt. And the title of this episode, as you may remember, is more Khufu than Cleopatra. So have you heard of Khufu? No, that's okay. Allow me to elaborate further. Khufu was an ancient Egyptian pharaoh who reigned over two and a half centuries before Cleopatra VII. At the onset of his reign, Pharaoh Khufu was responsible for the commission of the construction project for the Great Pyramid of Giza, 
which took approximately 23 years to construct. I won't spend a lot of time on Khufu. All you need to know is what he's mostly known for to this day, and that's for the seventh wonder of the world, the Great Pyramid of Giza. So when I titled this episode More Khufu Than Cleopatra, what I really wanted to get across was that the many opportunities that are advertised to women today as ways to become boss babes are not normally advertising ways to become empire and history-altering goddesses. They're usually advertising pyramid schemes, or at least the marginally more legal version, multi-level marketing. This was an extremely long-winded way to get there, but who doesn't love a good history lesson mixed with some empowerment of women along the way? Just me? No matter. We're moving into the meat and potatoes now, girlies. Now, the chemistry nerd in me really wanted to title this section PPMs. You guys would never see it, but it made me giggle, and I kind of just thought I would tell you that. So, in chemistry world, PPM stands for parts per million, and we're about to talk about Ponzi schemes, pyramid schemes, and multi-level marketing. So, PPMM. Cute, right? I'm so witty. (laughs) Well, in any case... Let's start with pyramid schemes first. No, you know what? Actually, let's talk about Ponzi schemes first. These provide examples of some of the worst financial scandals of the 20th century, plus or minus a few years. They've generally been used by men on men, but capitalism mixed with misogyny means men on the whole will feel entitled to squeeze a buck out of anyone they can, man or woman. So we are not exempted from Ponzi and pyramid schemes as women. We're just less likely to be targets because they are going to presume we have less money that they could swindle from our clutches than our male counterparts. God bless their misogynistic, patriarchal underestimations. Am I right? Bless their hearts. Ponzi schemes are named after a man called Charles Ponzi, the original bad boy of finance, if you please. He was not the first person to do this BS, but he was so effing good at it that they gave him credit for it. Charles Ponzi raised $15 million in an approximate eight-month time frame in 1920. So from my resources, that's $15 million in 1920 dollars, not $2022. So doing a quick calculation, assuming a 5% interest hike year over year, reveals that Charles Ponzi actually was able to raise over $2 billion in today's dollars in eight months. Two motherfucking billion. So what is the Ponzi scheme? Legit, just a majorly amazing salesperson who convinces rich assholes to part with their money with the promise of a return on their investment. The rich asshole in charge, who I have dubbed R-A-I-C, or Rake, not to be confused with a rake out of Bridgerton, this rake will take investment money from his new investors and pay back the old investors with some level of return to keep them satisfied. This rake keeps recruiting new investors until eventually he, 
or she, but let's be honest, he can't keep up with the demand for repayment and the return on investment to the point that the scheme falls apart. Other famous Ponzi schemes in recent history include Bernie Madoff and the man behind the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, Lou Pearlman. There are a few others, but those are the names you'll, you'll probably know the most. But like I said, particularly with regard to Ponzi schemes, the misogynistic patriarchy has protected us women from being major victims, thanks to their lack of seeing us as suitable victims slash investors. That's not to say that no women were victims of Ponzi schemes, but it was less likely due to the sheer volume of wealth targeted and the societal and systemic capability for a woman to own vast amounts of wealth as compared to her male counterparts leading up to this point in history, in part because their misogynistic patriarchy also rigged the system so we couldn't have our own money, property, loans, investments, etc. until the last 35 to 50 years. This also usually doesn't include the hyper-rich because somehow the hyper-rich get around everything. In any case, that moves us to Khufu, aka pyramid schemes. Okay, so pyramid scheme starts with one person at the top. Could be a tiny few, but for ease of explanation, let's say it's just one person. Now let's say that one person is a really good salesman. They convince, oh, I don't know, five other people that they should pay a fee or make an investment of some sort into this company that has promise. This is common with startups, of course, requiring seed money and offering some level of equity in return. Recognizing that startups post losses in the first few years of operation, these investors are understanding to a point. But somehow the top-tier person convinces these people to recruit other investors to share in the inevitable equity that will befall such a promising investment. These investors now receive a certain percentage of the recruitment fee, the investment, whatever. If they recruited five people each, who then recruit five people each, this organization of recruitment fees or initial investments that started at one person can grow to five people, 25 people, 125, and so on. Without any actual product or service that has been offered, money has been raised by multiple levels of people that has multiplied on itself enriching the person at the top, and endangering the people at the lowest levels, at which it eventually falls apart. Of course, without a product or service, only a fee or investment, pyramid schemes are easier to define and monitor as illegal enterprises and or business models. Successful, until caught, examples of pyramid schemes are harder to define than Ponzi schemes because most of these will have modified their rules or means of operation to look a little more like a multi-level marketing organization. The most prominent pyramid scheme taking place right now that I am aware of is Hustlers University run by Andrew Tate. So basically, Tate had a few of his dudes subscribe to his Hustlers University for 50 bucks a month. They're then given an affiliate link to send out, and they're told that for each person that they get to join, they'll get a 10% cut on the people they get. So if one of Tate's friends gets 10 people to join, that dude can be part of Hustlers U for free. But if those people get people to join, then he'll get a piece of those people's like stuff too. So Tate's product 
is really just a bunch of, quote, great ideas that is really just a bunch of bigoted, misogynistic, alt-right, toxic masculinity that is becoming quite dangerous as it is filling the heads of young boys and even adult men. It's also a really big scam. It targets young boys and it's normalizing this hateful, harmful rhetoric. It's actually a multi-part problem for society on top of being the closest example we have to a pyramid scheme today. So he's not only teaching young boys to be misogynists, he's also swindling them out of 50 bucks a month. Also, ladies, PSA, if your man listens to Andrew Tate, dump his ass immediately. There is no way your man can subscribe to Andrew Tate's line of thinking and actually have respect or love for you as a whole complex adult human being. And that's not an overreaction. I'm not being dramatic. Multi-level marketing organizations only have a nuanced difference from pyramid scheme-based organization. That difference is whether or not they're selling a product or service. So this is how people especially women, get roped into this not-so-savory opportunity to make money. The only difference between MLMs and pyramid schemes is the tangible product or service being offered in an MLM compared to the promise of something in a pyramid scheme. Remember, a Ponzi scheme promises rainbows and sunshine. The pyramid scheme gives rainbows and sunshines, but only if you add people who will help you raise rainbows and sunshine. An MLM sells the rainbows and sunshine, but you have to buy them from the tier above you, and then you have to sell them to the, quote, customers below you. More points if you can get your customers to, in turn, sell rainbows and sunshine with you, but realistically, they're below you. But at the end of the day, no matter what happens, not one of us wants to be taken a fool so that someone else can get rich. If I'm lying, I'm dying on that one. So in an MLM, you have to buy the product first, and then you're on the hook to sell it. This could be makeup, (laughs) Mary Kay, travel agencies, like making you purchase multiple travel packages and then repackaging them and purchase, like having other people purchase them from you. It, It could literally be anything. So some of the most notable MLMs out there today are Amway, Herbalife, Mary Kay, Avon, Rodan and Fields, Beachbody, LuLaRoe, Arbonne, Sensi, Plexus, Stella and Dot, and Pure Romance, just to name a few that I've heard before. This is not an all-exhaustive list of MLMs out there today. It's just most of the ones that I think most of my friends would know and that I think are popular based on my own personal experience. But here's the real deal. Any established company that requires you, a quote-unquote employee, to purchase its end product in order to then turn around and sell it is not legitimate. A legitimate company will not require its employees to float it for any period of time in order to make a sale. If you're floating your organization, you are an independent contractor, and your company could give two shits if you sink or swim. Your organization is worth at least tens of millions of dollars. It should not require you to float its interests. 
So if an organization promises you amazing return on your investment, but requires an upfront investment and recruitment of other boss babes in order to do so, recognize it for the MLM at best unethical pyramid scheme that it truly is, take cover and get the fuck out like the girl boss that you actually are. Just know there's a lot of examples of women out there who have spent a bunch of money on these products and then not been able to sell them. So they're sitting around with boxes and boxes of product that these organizations will not take back, not reimburse them for, and they're just out thousands of dollars in product. It's something that happens to too many women and I'm pretty fucking sick of it. So that's why I wanted to do an episode on this one today. To be sure, I am not trying to shit on your parade or even rain on it. I just really want you girls to know that being a girl boss does not follow the same definition of some capitalist asshole wrapped in a millennial colored clothing that's trying to sell you this on Instagram. Making money, passive or active, should not cost you upfront dollars unless you're already doing well enough that you're making a completely living wage solo and capable of investing in passive or secondary income. We can talk more about passive income and we can get more into investment opportunities in next season. But basically, those are the types of things you would make an investment in and then see a return in. Ponzi schemes tend to go for people who are looking to invest in one company. It would be like pretending you're a Warren Buffett and you're capable of buying into one big company rather than buying stocks or mutual funds all over the place and diversifying your portfolio. But the goal behind pyramid schemes and multi-level marketing is to help you earn some level of passive income. And I don't want to see you guys pay in for something that's not going to pay back out. I'm throwing these caveats out there because a lot of MLM targeting is it stay-at-home moms. So ladies, you may want something more meaningful and fulfilling for your life without having to take a full-time job because obviously your babies come first, but it's natural to want to have something for yourself, something as an adult, and especially if you can do it in a way that brings in more money for you, your family, and your children. But some asshole who convinced some other bee who birthed a kid in your kid's third grade class is not likely to be the answer to your boredom and your need to draw in extra dollars. I'm generalizing from my place of childlessness, but don't be caught a fool because you don't trust my non-bio mama ass over some other dude who will never be a mama, adopted step bio or otherwise. I did have the privilege of being a stepmama for a few years in there, so I get at least some of the toddler, no sleep, sometimes bratty, sometimes half-demon struggle that you ladies will have dealt with. Being a mama is work, and wanting some adult time is so fucking normal. But these MLMs that make you buy their shit up front so that you can be your own boss and whatnot, It's preying on your situation. It's preying on your emotions. I want you girls to be financially independent, but I don't want you to become victims of other people. Be wary of anything, any company, any business model 
that requires you to buy any of their products up front first. Stay safe, ladies, because you deserve the world and not to be the world's punching bag or its punchline. Next time on Avo Toast, we'll explore cryptocurrency because all the bros are talking about it and we deserve to at least be able to have a seat at the table amongst the bros if we so choose or to have the ability to make smart crypto decisions should we choose to buy into this non-tangible asset. So for now, protect yourself from the schemes that are meant to steal our money and discredit our intelligence. And may your mimosas in your bank accounts always be bottomless. Cheers. This has been Let Them Eat Avocado Toast, brought to you by Camex LLC. Any questions, comments, concerns, or requests for consultation should be directed to our email at lte.avo.toast at gmail.com. All sources used for this podcast are available upon request. All opinions expressed in this podcast are the express opinions of the host and do not represent the opinions of Camex LLC. All music used is stock music from GarageBand by Apple. Kristen Atherton and Camax LLC remind you to please drink responsibly.